You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. Ain't it good to see that choir loft full like that? And uh, some of our folks, our regulars, are out of town. Uh, I'll remind you again that this is Clone Choir Member Month, and uh, our choir members are recruiting this month for more choir members. To be, some of you need to become clones. Some of you look like clones. So you need to go ahead and just uh, put that stamp on it and go ahead and join the choir. Uh, we're going to be taking down this partition, and Belinda Moore has already made the fabric and... and uh, We've gotten the uh, stuff to put this thing together. We're going to extend it and put another row of chairs here for more choir members and have another uh, partition here made of uh, cloth uh, that's going to be right in front of them. So we're going to be able to add about 10 more voices to the choir. And uh, that's going to happen, I think, about the first week in August. And that's when we're going to try to put that partition up. And that's when the choir members are shooting to have all of their people cloned. And uh, so some of you are beginning already to change. I can just see the transformation taking place. You're becoming a clone. And so you're going to need to be in the choir uh, beginning probably by the 1st of August at least. Uh, seriously, though, it's an important, important ministry, and God has blessed us to send us Monty McGee uh, to lead us. I started to say Monty Nichols. <laughs> uh, Monty McGee. You know, it's tough when you've got two Monty's that close together. You just kind of have a tendency to get them confused. And uh, there's another way we get them confused because uh, they both do a tremendous job in leading God's people in worship. And uh, we're blessed that God has given us somebody like Monty McGee to lead us. And so you support him as the choir begins to work and uh, uh, toward uh, recruiting more folks. Let's take our Bibles now. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. You know, when I met Krista this morning, I told her that I was a graduate of Baylor. I graduated in 76, and that was a few years ago. I, like Dr. Uh, Brown said to me last week, you weren't even a cricket on the wall. You know, back when I started preaching, I started to say to her, she wasn't even a cricket on the wall when I graduated from Baylor. But uh, I thought about... Uh, I said, you know, I had some good times at Baylor, some good years at Baylor, and I remember one of my roommates who spent eight years at Baylor. And I started to say, I had a roommate that spent eight of the best years of his life at Baylor University. He was one of those guys that just would not graduate. He, every time he got close to graduation, he'd get scared and he'd change his major. Well, he'd have to pick up some more hours. And, uh, but we appreciate you being with us, Krista. And uh, the, her uh, offertory just, uh, wow. Uh, I noticed that she was looking to see when the ushers were through with the offering. I just wish she'd just kept on uh, rather than cutting it short. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read together in just a few moments, verses 18 through 20. If you're wondering about this speaker stand here, we're in the process. We're going to have one built, a little smaller, something that won't block out the whole choir like that big podium that we had before. We built this stage extension, so bear with us for a few weeks. If I, while I just use this thing, and we're going to have something a little bit smaller, something maybe that look a little more attractive than this, uh, that's going to be built for us before too long. I says we can talk somebody into doing it. Do I hear any volunteers? <laughs> no volunteers. You knew what I was leading up to. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to conclude this morning a study in the book of Ephesians that we've been involved in now for eight months. Out of curiosity this week, I went back into my my sermon file just to find out exactly how long it had been that we had been studying Ephesians on Sunday mornings. And it turns out that we began this study in November. 
We began back November doing a verse-by-verse -verse exposition of Ephesians on Sunday morning, and I looked and had discovered that I have preached 27 messages in the book of Ephesians, and now all of that is drawing to a close this morning. This morning, we're ending up this study in Ephesians, and we're ending it up with the last part of a three-part message out of the sixth chapter of Ephesians that we have entitled Spiritual Warfare because that's what the sixth chapter of Ephesians is all about anyway. It's about this spiritual warfare that we as God's people are involved in. And so a couple of weeks ago when we began this sixth chapter and this three-part series, this three-part message, we dealt first of all with our adversary in the spiritual warfare. And Paul describes him in verses 10 through 13 that he is the prince of the powers of wickedness and, and we fight against spiritual forces and not against flesh and blood, referring to Satan himself and all of his evil forces that he has at his command. And then last Sunday, we dealt with our armor in spiritual warfare, verses 10, verses 14 through 17. That's a great passage of Scripture where Paul gives us the armor that God has given for us to enter into the spiritual battle, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shears of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and ultimately the sword of the Spirit, who Paul says is the Word of God. And so we've looked at the adversary, we've looked at the armor, and this morning we're going to finish Ephesians out by looking at our attack as God's people. How do we make the attack? How do we mount the attack in this spiritual battle that we're involved in? Verses 18 through 20. Let's read together. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, when we know our adversary, when we have an understanding of who he is and then we have put on the armor for battle that Paul has given us in verses 14 through 17, then we are ready, and only then, are we ready to enter into the battle. We're ready to enter into attack. Now, I believe, and I think that this is why Paul ends this whole thing up with this subject, I believe that the real battle, the real warfare, is done in prayer. Prayer is our warfare. That's how we enter into the spiritual battle with the evil one. We understand who he is. We put on the armor of God. We gird our loins with truth. We put on the breastplate of, of righteousness. We take up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. But that's not how we do battle. Those are defensive weapons. Our battle is done offensively in prayer. That's how we enter into the battle. I read of a, uh, an interesting creature in Africa called the African New. Many of you maybe have even heard of this animal. The thing that is significant about him for our purposes this morning is that he has an unusual way of attacking his prey. And I use that, that word prey, P-R-E-Y, not P-R-A-Y. When he is, has, has viewed the enemy and he's about to attack the enemy, what he does is he drops down to his knees and he stalks the prey on his knees. Now, I want to suggest to you this morning that that is the way that you and I are to approach the spiritual battle that we're involved in with the evil one, with the forces of darkness, as Paul has said, and these verses preceding, that that is the way that we are to approach the battle. Prayer, that is our attack. And if we do everything else and we fail to pray, then we have failed in the battle. Every single thing that we do is dependent upon prayer. 
Everything that we do as a people of God is dependent upon prayer. That's why, men, it was exciting for me Wednesday morning when we began the men's prayer meeting at 6.15 that there were 12 men that came together to join our hearts and our minds together and to lift up petitions to the Father. Do you know that this week, and I believe directly as a result of God's uh, people's obedience in prayer and men joining together in prayer, this week some doors began to open that for weeks and weeks and weeks have been closed. It's as if God was just saying, I've just been waiting for you to pray. I've just been waiting for you to enter into the spiritual battle and get on the offensive and quit sitting back. And it was exciting to me after Wednesday to see the things that begin to happen. You see, spiritual battle is involved in prayer. That's our attack in this spiritual battle it is prayer. Everything we do as a church is dependent upon our prayer life. Everything that we do as individuals is dependent upon our prayer life. We are going to be no stronger than our prayer life. Did you hear that? You are not going to be any stronger as an individual than your prayer life is. As a matter of fact, as I look at my own personal life, I recognize that every weakness that I have spiritually Every weakness that I have spiritually is ultimately a weakness in prayer. I can ultimately draw it back to my weakness in prayer. We must pray in order to win the spiritual battle. Now, I don't want to be trite, and I don't want to say this in a trite manner, but it's the truth. Satan fears the prayers of God's people. Satan fears the prayers of God's people. He doesn't mind if you put on the armor if you don't pray. He doesn't mind if you come to church if you never pray. He doesn't mind if you give to the work of the ministry if you never pray. He doesn't mind if you preach, teach, or do anything, or witness, or anything, as long as you don't pray. That is the one thing that the evil one has no counterattack for, is the prayers of God's people. Now, if that's important, if that's true, then it's important that we understand what Paul says about prayer. And I want us to look primarily at verse 18 this morning as we think about our spiritual warfare, our attack, and what Paul says about this attack in prayer. First of all, I want you to notice that Paul mentions about the frequency of our prayer, how frequently we ought to pray. Verse 18, he says, With all prayer and petition, what? Pray at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and all petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Now, how often then should I pray? Paul says, pray all of the time in the Spirit. In other words, never stop praying. Did you hear that? Pray at all times in the Spirit. How frequently are we to pray? We are to pray at all times. Now, that's a frequent admonition of the Word of God. Not only Paul, but even our Lord Jesus said it. Christ said men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Do you want to be a person that never loses heart in the spiritual battle? Do you want to stand strong in the Lord Jesus? Then do what Jesus said. Men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, be devoted in prayer. Again, in 1 Thessalonians, he said that great verse of Scripture that often that we quote, that we never practice, and that is pray without ceasing. All the time we ought to be praying. That's how frequently we should be praying. We should live our lives in a con in continuing, uh, constant state of prayer living in an attitude, living on the precipice, if you will, at will, in prayer. The greatest struggle that I have in my life, not only as a pastor, but just as a, as a man who happens to be a Christian, the greatest struggle that I have in my life is to combat the evil one's distractions from prayer. I can find time to study. 
I will make time to study because I know that I'm going to be accountable to you on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. So whatever else happens in my life, I'm going to find time to study the Word of God. I'll find time to witness. I'll find time to do anything else. But the greatest struggle that I have in my life is to find time and to make time for prayer. But Paul says it's the most important thing we do. As a matter of fact, I read it this way one time. We can do nothing until we pray, and then after we've prayed, we can do nothing but pray. Because prayer is our warfare. We are involved in spiritual battle. And it's Satan's desire to keep us from prayer. So how often are we to pray? Paul says, pray at all times in the Spirit. Now, what does he mean by that? What does that mean to pray at all times? Well, prayer is like breathing. Praying is like breathing. You don't think about breathing, do you? It just comes naturally. It's, a, it's an impulse that just happens naturally. You don't think about your breathing. You, in fact, if you hold your breath, <laughs> if you hold your breath, if you stop breathing, then you're going to start thinking about it, and then breathing is going to become unnatural because it's unnatural not to breathe. And that's the way it ought to be with prayer in the life of the believer. It ought to become natural. It ought to be a part of our spiritual life. Spiritual Prayer ought to be to your spiritual life as breathing is to your physical life. It is something that comes naturally, something that you do without even thinking about it. It becomes a way of life. Pray at all times. You see, prayer is not just a last resort. It's not just some SOS that we send up to God. But our lives, Paul is saying, are to be lived in an attitude, in an atmosphere of prayer. When you see something good, how often do you think to praise the Father for it? When you see something bad, how often do you think right there on the spot to ask the Father to set it right? When you come across someone that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Master, how often do you think to immediately right there without even thinking about it, lift up a prayer to the Father in behalf of that one that the Spirit of God might do His convicting work? Everything we do, everywhere we go, Paul is saying that we ought to live our lives in an attitude and in an atmosphere of constant prayer, constantly be living on the precipice of prayer everywhere that we go and everything that we do. So the frequency of prayer in our spiritual battle is that we are to pray at all times. But notice, second, the form of prayer. The form of prayer. Go back to the very first of this verse, verse 18. He says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. He begins the verse like this, with all prayer and petition. Now, most of the commentators that I consulted in studying this agreed that what that means is in all kinds of prayer, pray at all times. With all kinds of prayer, pray at all times. In other words, prayer comes in many different forms. There are a lot of different kinds of prayer, a lot of different forms. We have a tendency to think that we're not really praying unless we've bowed our heads and we have our want list there in front of God and we come to God and say, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. That's one form of prayer. There's a time and a place for that. But listen, there are many forms of prayer. And Paul is saying, with all kinds of prayer, pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray constantly. That's the frequency of our prayer. But the form of prayer is that with every kind of prayer, we are supposed to pray. As I thought about that, I thought, Lord, what different kinds of prayer are there? What do you mean, all kinds of prayer? And I listed three things because I'm a preacher and things come in threes to preachers, okay? 
I listed three things that, that I want you to think about. Three different kinds of prayer, if you will, this morning. And this is not exhaustive, and I don't intend it to be. But three things that the Lord spoke to me as I was studying this passage of Scripture. Three kinds of prayer are three forms. First of all, there is that kind of prayer that we could refer to as planned prayer. We're involved in spiritual battle, and we ought to have a time in our lives that we set aside as planned time for prayer when we meet God. That time in the morning or whenever it is for you, when you have set aside, you've countered it day by day by day, this is the time that I am going to enter into the Holy of Holies and I am going to meet God in prayer. Now, if you say, well, that James, that's legalistic, you know, to, to say that. Well, I don't want to be legalistic, but I study the life of Jesus and I see in the life of Jesus that he had a time that he prayed. He seemed to have had a, a pattern of prayer in his life. The scripture says in the, in the gospels, time after time after time, as you read them, that Jesus rose early before everybody else was up. He rose early and he went aside to a quiet place to pray. It seemed that Jesus had set in the pattern in his life to meet God in a planned, prescribed time. Now, if it was important for the Lord Jesus, how much more important is it for you and me to have in our, in our arsenal, in spiritual battle, in prayer, to have a planned time when we meet God, when we get ready for the day? Now, I just said a moment ago that if your life, that your life should be in an attitude of prayer, that frequency, that your life should be one constant prayer, if you will, that you're to live your life in the, in the atmosphere of prayer. But I'm convinced of this. Before you can ever do that, to live in a, an attitude of prayer, something else must first of all take place in your life. I'm convinced that you'll never pray at all times until you've prayed sometimes. I'm convinced that you'll never pray everywhere until you've prayed somewhere, until you have set down in your own personal life to be disciplined, to be correct, to set aside a time when you meet the Father in prayer. In college, we laughed at this guy who did this, but it's made such an effect on me that in all the years, and it was a freshman, I was a freshman in college when I met this guy, so it's been a few years back, quite a few, like 1972. Goodness gracious, 13 years. Uh, but this guy, we laughed at him in college. We thought he was kind of a fanatic, but it made such an impression on me that I never forgot what he did. I knew a guy in college when I was a freshman in the dormitory, and those of you that ever lived in the dormitory remember what that's like. There's never a quiet moment, especially early in the morning when everybody's excited to meet the day and ready to get up and go to those 8 o'clock classes. You remember how exciting that was? You know, when the, when the dorm just kind of wakes up like a sleeping giant and, and it's just mass confusion, everybody running to the showers and everything. But this fella in college, and I can't even remember his name, just a guy that lived on my floor, was so committed to meeting God in the morning, to setting aside a time that he was going to meet with the Father before he went out and met the day, the only quiet place that he could fly, find in that dormitory early in the morning was the pay phone booth down at the end of the hall. And so every morning while everybody else was shuffling around to, to get dressed and get showered and get ready to go to class, that's where you'd find that old boy. He would be down there in the phone booth meeting God in prayer. And we kind of laughed. We thought, you know, what a jerk. You know, I mean, you know, we thought, oh, man, you know, how fanatical can you possibly get but that made such an impression upon me that every time I think about planned prayer, I, I remember that fella, and I just suspect that he walked with the Father much more closely than I did as a college student because he had a time set aside when he met the Father in prayer. You're not going to pray at all times until you pray at some time. You're not going to pray everywhere, as Paul says, until you pray 
somewhere. And so an important part of prayer is a planned time of prayer, doing battle with the evil one. Not only that, there's another kind of prayer that I want us to mention, and that's participation prayer, participation kind of prayer. That means when God's people, as we do on Sunday morning, uh, when God's people come together and join their hearts and their minds in prayer to the Father, that is very biblical and it is very powerful. And the evil one fears that. That's what we did Wednesday morning, men, and what we'll do again this next Wednesday morning. I'll just put a commercial in for men's prayer meeting on Wednesday morning. It's important. When we come together and we join our hearts and our minds in prayer to the Father, that's participation kind of prayer. And we have the pattern of it all through the New Testament. Not only the New Testament, but the Old Testament of God's people coming together in corporate worship and in corporate prayer. The infant church learned it very early in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, right after the Spirit of God had fallen upon the infant church at Pentecost. The Scripture says this, that they were daily devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were doing it corporately. They were doing it in participation. They were joining together in prayer. Now, I want to read a verse of Scripture for you. You don't have time to turn to it, but just let me flip to it real quick, and you might write the reference down. It's a verse that's familiar to you, most of you. Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, again, I say to you that if two of you, in participation, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Verse 20, for where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Now, folks, I have got to be honest with you. I don't fully understand the ramifications of that verse of Scripture. I don't fully grasp the spiritual importance or the spiritual meaning of what Jesus is saying in that passage of Scripture, but I do understand this much. He is saying that there is power in participation prayer. There is power when God's people come together in agreement and join their hearts to the Father and go before the Father in corporate prayer. Satan's forces have no defenses when God's people agree in prayer together and begin to bombard the gates of heaven. Did you hear that? There's planned prayer, but also there is participation prayer. And a third kind is praising prayer. Praising prayer. Now that's one that most of us don't understand. Few of us understand what it means to, to praise the Father in prayer, but it's a very vital part of our spiritual arsenal as we enter into this spiritual attack. Uh, once again, most of us kind of feel like the only kind of prayer there really is, and this is probably because it's the only prayer that we ever pray, is that kind of prayer when we come with our petitions and we ask God for something. Give me this, give me that. And that's, that's a very real part of prayer. And that is a very vital kind of prayer, but that is only one form of prayer. Praise is an important part of prayer, and it's an important uh, uh, weapon that we have in our spiritual arsenal as we enter into spiritual battle. Read the Psalms sometimes. Most of you, a lot of you do. You've read the Psalms all of your lives, but you probably never really stopped to think and to realize what the Psalms were. Do you know what they were? They were songs that were sung to the Lord in praise and thanksgiving. And they, oftentimes uh, the psalmist would, would petition the Father in that song also. But primarily the psalms are psalms of praise, 
clung to the Father. David, out keeping the sheep, would write this psalm, just probably as the Spirit led him, just right off the top of his head. And he would write that and he would lift it up to the Father in praise. He would be praying in praise as he sang, as he sang unto the Lord. We talked about that a few weeks ago in the fifth chapter where Paul talks about singing and making melody with your heart unto the Lord. It's a very vital and important part of our prayer arsenal. Arsenal. <laughs> arsenal. That's a new word. This kind of prayer, though, now this is important. This kind of prayer can be done anytime and anywhere. It has nothing to do with time. It has nothing to do with place. It has nothing to do with posture of, of the body. Eyes open, eyes closed, head raised, head bowed, knees bowed, standing straight up in the air. It does not matter. This kind of prayer has nothing to do with time, place, or posture. It can be done anywhere. It can be done at the kitchen sink. Praising the Lord at the kitchen sink. Men, <laughs> get honest. Get honest. Some of you do that, don't you? You ought to. I don't, but you ought to. <laughs> Praising the Lord. I have the last two or three weeks, I'll guarantee you. Praising the Lord at the kitchen sink. Praising the Lord at work, where you are, in songs. Praising the Lord as you're driving down the street. Some people might think you're an idiot. You're crazy. Won't? No, they won't. They won't know if you're singing with the radio or if you're just singing to the Lord. They won't have any idea. Just driving down the Lord, singing and making melody under your heart, out of your heart unto the Lord. Praising kind of prayer can be done kneeling, standing, with your eyes open, your head bowed, your, your head raised. doesn't matter. Jesus said, after all, watch and pray, didn't he? I do that a lot when my wife is driving. <laughs> I, watch, I watch and pray, you know. You can praise the Lord in song, praising him in prayer. That is a vital, vital part that is missing out of the arsenal of so many of God's people who don't understand how to praise the Father in prayer and in song. That's why I'm so committed and why Madi is so committed to us as a body corporately in worship, singing scripture and learning it, memorizing scripture, singing those scripture songs, not only because it blesses the heart of God when his people do it corporately in worship together, but in order that you might have that during the week to lift up to the Father in praise and in song, wherever you are, just to break out in a song. This is my commandment. This is my commandment. And praise the Father as you sing those choruses of Scripture. We don't have to be wild and crazy charismatics to do that. That's foolish. You know, one thing that Baptists, I hope and pray to God, Baptists are learning from the modern-day charismatic movement is how to worship God. Now, we can leave their lousy theology all, okay? And we do. But if nothing else, we ought to learn from them how to lift our hearts in praise to the Father, not only corporately, but individually. We Baptists have been so stiff for so long, most of us can't bend our knees, much less get on our knees before the Father and praise Him in spirit and in truth. We ought to learn how to praise the Father. That's an important arsenal, important part of our arsenal as we attack the evil one in prayer. When I was just a young Christian, Eddie Blakely, who came and did that concert for us just a few weeks ago on Sunday night. And those of you that missed it, just missed a blessing. Eddie was one of the men that was, young men that was instrumental in my becoming a Christian when I was a senior in high school. The summer after I graduated, or the summer after I got saved, I was saved in the middle of my senior year, then I graduated. I went back to work out in the oil field that summer. And I had a stark awakening in the oil field that summer because every other summer before that, I'd been just one of the boys. 
my language was just like theirs. Uh, the things I did after after we got off work were the very same things that they did. And then I got saved that year, and God ch- cleaned up my vocabulary and my lifestyle, and I went back out to work in the oil field that summer, and I, and I was amazed. I thought, did I really talk like that? <laughs> you know, did I really live like that? Was that my attitude and my approach to life? And it was a, an eye-opening experience for me that summer as a brand-new child of God. But Eddie Blakely had taught me a song just after I became a Christian that, that the Lord used to bring me through that experience that summer. It was a simple song entitled, Thank You, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. And all summer long, gang, I sang that chorus out there working out in the oil field, hot, filthy, dirty, the dregs of society all around me. Thank you, Lord for saving my soul. And if I wasn't singing it out loud verbally, I was singing it in my mind and my heart. And God just gave me strength that summer to live for him. You see what I'm saying? You do spiritual warfare in prayer. There are all kinds of prayer. There's planned prayer. There's participation prayer, which is important. But then there is also that praising kind of prayer. When you as an individual go before the Father in prayer, just praising him for who he is, not begging him for anything, just worshiping the Father. Oh, glory, the force of prayer. I had a four-pointer. It's going to become a three-pointer. But we're going to look at the force of prayer very quickly. Verse 18, the, the fervency or the frequency of prayer is pray at all times. The forms of prayer with all kinds of prayer. But notice the, the force of our prayer. He says pray with all prayer and petition. Pray at all times in the Spirit. That's important. Pray at all times in the Spirit. That's the force of our praying. It is the Spirit of God. Have you ever wondered, have you ever taken the time just to wonder what it is that makes prayer real? What it, what it is that really brings those words alive that you pray? I'm sure you've experienced this before. You've prayed and they've just been words. You knew that as they fell off of your lips, that they were just words. There was no life to them. There was no spirit to them. There was no power. There was no authority. They, to use a colloquialism, they got no further than the ceiling above your head, if you will. There was just no power there. And then the next time maybe that you come in prayer, as the words roll off of your mouth and off of your lips, you just sense the power of the spirit in those words. And you know that, that God is hearing. And you know that you're communicating spiritually with the Father. What is it that makes the difference? What is it that changes those words and gives them power and gives them force with the Father? Is it the posture of your body? No. Is it your your knees bent? Is your head bowed? Is it your eyes open? Is Is it your eyes closed? No. There's a time for all of that, but that's not what gives prayer power. That's not what turns it into a driving force that does spiritual battle. It is the Spirit of God. Paul says, pray at all times in the Spirit. And when your prayer, quite frankly, does not, is not prayed in the Spirit, it doesn't carry enough power to blow your nose. It really doesn't. It's empty, it's vain, and it's meaningless to pray in the Spirit. Then what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Very quickly, and I'm not going to give you everything I was going to give you. You're just going to miss it this morning. Uh, But uh, I know that the mind can only retain what the seed can withstand, and so we're going to cut it a little bit short this morning. Uh, What does it mean to pray in the Spirit Very quickly, it means, first of all, to get your desire from the Spirit for prayer. To pray in the Spirit means that the Spirit gives you the desire. Do you remember the story of Moses? As Moses was going along keeping his father's sheep, 
he was just walking along there and he says, uh, the scripture says that he saw out of the corner of his eye the burning bush and that bush was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. And the scripture says that Moses said, I will draw aside, I will go aside and I will see this wondrous sight. The burning bush drew Moses away from what he was doing and drew him to the father. I suggest to you that every child of God has a burning bush living within. That burning bush that lives within you and with me is the spirit of the living God. And it is he that gives us the desire to pray. It is he that draws us aside from that, that whatever we're doing at that time and calls us into the place of prayer. And quite frankly, folks, if you've never had that experience, if you never have the Spirit of God draw you aside and give you the desire to pray, then something is wrong in your life. Because if that bush is within you, then he is going to draw you aside. He is going to call you into the very presence of God. And what is happening is probably that you're just throwing water on that burning bush in your life by sin. There's sin there that is unconfessed. There's sin there that you're holding on to, something in your life that you you refuse to let go of and the spirit of God when he is being quenched like that cannot give you the, the desire to pray to meet God exactly the opposite when there's unconfessed sin in the believers lives, he fears the father he doesn't want to enter into the presence of God because of God's holiness and so if you don't have the desire to pray then look at your heart there may be something there that is quenching the spirit of the living God because it is him that gives us even the desire to pray not only that but praying in the Spirit means to also depend upon the Spirit in prayer. Now, all of us recognize that every act of service ultimately is meaningless and is empty unless the Spirit of God anoints it. Nothing eternal can take place. Nothing lasting can take place unless the Spirit inspires it and the Spirit blesses it. I can preach till the cows come home, but if the Spirit of God doesn't do His work, no matter what visible results we might see, there's not going to be anything eternal that's going to take place. You can teach till you're, till you're blue in the face, and it may sound good to the ears of men, but if the Spirit of God doesn't take that and give it life, then nothing eternal is going to happen. And so to pray in the Spirit means to get your desire from the Spirit, but it also means to depend completely and totally upon the Spirit of God for the results. I believe that's what Romans 8.26 is all about when Paul says, The Spirit helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. We're dependent upon the Spirit of God. Not only do we get our desire to pray from the Spirit and depend upon him, but thirdly, and this is important, praying in the Spirit means to pray under the direction of the Spirit of God. Now, this is a difficult concept, and I want you to stay with me just for a moment to explain it. Not only does the Spirit of God give us this desire to pray, He draws us aside in that burning bush kind of experience. Not only does, do we depend upon Him in our prayer, but then, then praying in the Spirit means that the Spirit of God even directs that prayer. He gives even the content of that prayer. Now, that's hard to understand. And some of you maybe are thinking that that's difficult to accept. I don't understand why it's so difficult to accept. Although I know that many Christians have a hard time accepting that, that the Spirit of God even prays through me, you mean? You mean that, that real prayer is when the Spirit even tells me what to pray to the Father? That's exactly right. We don't have any difficulty understanding what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, do we? When it says that you are saved by faith, 
You're saved by grace through faith. And then he says, and your faith is not even your own. God even gives you the faith to believe. We don't have a hard time believing that. Scripture says it. We are saved by faith. And then, then the Father, the only way we can be saved is the Father, first of all, gives us the faith to believe. It's the same thing in prayer. The Spirit of God directs our praying. We come to the Father in dependence upon the Spirit. And then the Spirit of God even tells us what it is to pray. The most precious de definition of prayer I ever heard was this. Praying is the Spirit finding a desire in the heart of God, planting that desire in the heart of man, and then taking it back to the heart of God. Prayer begins with God and it ends with God or it's not prayer at all. Now listen, the scripture teaches that the only prayer that is answered is the prayer that is prayed in the will of God. God does not change his will to meet your prayer. Your will is to be changed to meet the will of God. And the only way that takes place is if the Spirit reveals to you the heart of the Father, reveals to you the will of God. Now this kind of praying takes on a whole new atmosphere. Praying then ceases to be here I am, Lord, listen, your servant speaks, and it becomes this, speak, Lord, your servant listens. That's spiritual warfare. That's the attack in prayer. When God the Father, by his Spirit, plants in our hearts even the prayer that he desires us to pray. Have you ever thought about that? You come to the place of prayer, and you say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. I am weak. I don't even know what to pray, Lord, as Romans 8.26 says. Here I am. I don't even know what to pray, Father, but I'm bowed before you. I'm yielded. I'm submitted to your perfect, perfect plan and your perfect will. Now, Lord, I ask you, as I am just quiet before you, I ask you, Father, to tell me what to pray. And then the Spirit of God takes over. You see, you've got to get quiet before the Lord before he can do that. Like God said to Moses, Moses, Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. In other words, Moses, recognize where you are. Before you say another word, Moses, back up. Take off your shoes. Recognize that you're in the presence of a holy and righteous God. And many of us just rush right into the place of prayer with our want list. And we never stop. We never ask the Lord to give us the content of our prayer. But see, that's powerful prayer because if God's only going to answer the prayer that comes from the very heart of God that's in his will, then how are we going to know that will if he doesn't communicate it to us? That's the warfare. That's the prayer that gets answered. That's the prayer that has power. That's the prayer that gives the, the child of God the ability to live victoriously. Okay, we've got to close. The frequency of prayer in this spiritual attack and spiritual warfare. Pray at all times. The forms of prayer with all kinds of prayer. All kinds of prayer. Live your life on the precipice of prayer. Your, your life in an attitude, in a constant feeling of prayer. And then the force of prayer. In the Spirit. Prayer that is in the Spirit. That gets its desire from the Spirit. That has its dependency upon the Spirit. And then even gets its direction from the Spirit of God. And then Paul says, the fervency, verse 18. Pray with all perseverance. Pray with all perseverance. We pray with perseverance, not in order to change the heart of God. That's not the point. Jesus said, ask and keep on asking. That's what it means. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. He's not saying to do that in order to change God's mind. No, because prayer, he's, he says to do it because prayer 
is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. And when you go into warfare, you don't swing the sword just once. That doesn't take care of the enemy, does it? You swing it as many times as you have to. And in spiritual warfare, we pray, we ask, we keep on asking, we knock, we keep on knocking, not because we're wanting to change God's heart, no, but because we are doing spiritual battle with the forces of evil. And that's what it's all about. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you to praise you for the privilege of prayer. We recognize, Lord, that we have not even touched the hem of the garment of understanding this great privilege that you've given us in prayer. We read the promises that you've given us. We even understand, Father, that you'll teach us how to pray. But, Father, in our flesh, we can't even understand it. We depend upon your Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to teach us, Father, how to pray. God, I pray that you, by your Spirit, would teach your people individually and corporately in this place what it means to do spiritual warfare, what it means to do spiritual battle, that all of the armor in the world is no good to us if we don't attack in prayer. God, make us a people of prayer. God, make us a church of prayer as we individually commit ourselves to that task. I pray for my own life, for the life of the the staff that you've given us here to lead us, for the life of our teachers, Father, who teach your word, for every member of the body of Christ in this place, I pray it that you would make us prayer warriors to see prayer as the battle, as the form of attack that you've given us. Give us victory, Father, as we trust you, as you lead us, as you guide us, and we pray it with great thanksgiving in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.